this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. I'm so excited you're here. Always I am every single time, every single person. I am so grateful you are listening to my podcast and you are here. You matter. I love ya. I wouldn't be where I am without you. So I love you. <laughs> okay. On my podcast, I talk about all things related to sex, sexuality, sexual health, sex toy reviews, tips for better sex solo and with partners. And I have lots of interviews as well. I read erotica, mine and others. And I do erotica author interviews along with reading excerpts of their work. And I also interview experts. I am so excited to have this guest on my podcast. I cannot tell you, I've been so excited to talk with her and I cannot wait to share everything she has to say with all of you. I am going to host Isabella Frappier to my podcast. Isabella goes by she and they. Isabella Frappier is a sexual activist and pleasure mentor focused on body literacy and sexual sovereignty. Isabella works with clients on one-by-one video sessions and in group workshops, such as Eros Community, to help them embrace their sexuality, incorporating aspects of feminist BDSM, sex magic, and even astrology into her work. She is also a host on the Sex Magic Podcast. You can find her on IsabellaFrappier.com. On Instagram, she is Bella took a photo. And on Twitter, she is Rise of Aphrodite. Welcome, Isabella. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. I love your accent. Ah, oh, thank you. I'm Australian Canadian, so it's a bit of a hybrid one. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I've always lived in the US. So Oh, nice. So I would love for you, in your own words, tell us what you do. I really work with people to help them feel more pleasure in their life. Like that's the most simplified way I can put it, but I do so much. Like it's so different in different clients and different, even different sessions for the same client. Like our focus might be on figuring out how to get a new job or a promotion or manifesting a new relationship, or it could be how to have more orgasms or increase and diversify self-pleasure. It can be sometimes trauma healing and unpacking and processing. You know, there's so many different avenues that pleasure flows down. And so I have like a loose structure that I work on with clients, but I really I've actually been moving away from that more and more as the years go by and just coming into a really, really full presence in session and just being of service to whatever feels most pressing for my clients. And the bulk of my work is through one-on-one sessions, but over the past uh, year, I've been moving some of my workshops and courses to be exclusively online. And that has been so fulfilling and amazing. So I have a weekly movement 
class that I lead where we all move our central bodies together and have a good time. And then we gather together and we all share a little bit about what came up for us in the session, maybe how our week has been. And we've been gathering together and doing that for over a year now in weekly sessions. It's a very, very intimate, powerful community. And I also teach a monthly workshop in Eros community where we have a different theme every month that we explore and unpack together. And it's so juicy and so fun and hearing everyone shares of how it's transforming their lives is so fulfilling for me. That sounds awesome and just wonderful. What a wonderful thing you're doing. I think that's just fantastic. Thank you so much. What brought you to doing this? Like what was your background? Yeah, I have always worked in women's wellness. You could call it like loosely. And I have some experience in naturopathy, the study of natural medicine. And that was good and and felt very fulfilling for me throughout my life. I've also done other things too. Like I've done a bit of waitressing and managed a few restaurants. I've had a, I worked at a horse racing track. I've had a few different (laughs) interesting life experiences. I've done sex work. I've done like, I've run the whole gamut of things. And, but always the sort of central thread of my work has been pretty centered around women's wellness and some integration to do with child rearing. Mm. And I then started getting pretty focused on being a birth doula. Oh, nice. Yeah. I loved that so much that that was the first time I really felt like a lightning bolt through my body when I was working. Like I just felt so plugged into my purpose and I actually couldn't believe people paid me to do it because I was like, I can't believe I don't pay you to be here because this is incredible. And, you know, that's a complicated issue that I could honestly do a whole podcast topic on, but you really give a lot of yourself as a doula, or at least the way I was doing it wasn't sustainable. And I can be a bit prone to martyrdom in the first place. So it was actually like flaring up some of my issues in a way that wasn't necessarily the best. I was feeling like so validated from doing it, but you know, I was not really taking very great care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I'd also been in honestly, like I forgot to ask, is this a podcast where I can or can't curse? <laughs> oh my gosh, you can swear. My okay. podcast is actually called Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow. So you can. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I'm Australian, so like we curse a lot. <laughs> but I had been in like a just string of like just terrible relationships, really like not. Like I really loved performing sex, but I didn't really get any pleasure from like yeah. any, any physical pleasure from being in. I got a lot of mental pleasure and I had left an abusive relationship and that had made me realize I just was really surprised that I could have been in one, which I think a lot of, of people experience that. Yeah. Um, and after leaving that, I decided to do like a sort of a period of sort of celibacy. I'd done a pretty intense period before that relationship of celibacy, which was beautiful. Something I've always kind of come back to as a practice. Mm. And I really focused on my sexual and spiritual wellness in that period. And then I did start dating and I was really amazing and just had, was very, very focused on like workshops and courses and books and lived embodied experiences around sexual pleasure and pleasure in all forms. And then that became this amazing catalyst with my birth doula work where Mm. postpartum, I was really noticing that what was most helpful, what was being reflected back to me was that what was most helpful was to have someone to talk about their changing relationship to their sexuality with sure, and, yeah. and kind of unpacking like birth trauma and all of these things. And that just like, wasn't what I expected 
would be helpful. And it was such a beautiful lesson from the universe of like, you don't always know what's going to be helpful to people. And so then my clients kept saying like, oh, will you come back and talk to me more about this? And, And I did. And then it was like, oh, well, actually my friend really wants to talk to you about her relationship to her sexuality. Will you do that? Yes. And then started being, oh, well, you know, I have a friend that wants to talk to you, but she doesn't, she hasn't had a child. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I just kept following where I was, where I was most of service. And then that built up and built up through referrals and word of mouth to the point that I had to have some big talks with myself of if I was going to pursue this full time and let go of all my kind of like side hustles. Um, But I realized when I was waitlisting clients so that I could do my side hustles, that didn't make Mm. sense anymore. Um, So I decided to just go full time and back myself and see what would happen after a year. And within that space of a year, you know, Netflix reached out to me, asked me if they could feature me on their group show and just like lots of things like that, that I was thought, okay, this is the universe saying, you know, you're on the right (laughs) track and I've never looked back. And that's been my main focus for the past few years now. So it's, it's been great. Oh, that is awesome. That is quite the story. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. So I love your, one of your posts on Instagram talked about how you help women have better orgasms. How Mm -hmm. do you go about that? Is that a class for you or is that more of a one-on-one or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so there's a few ways that you can get support through me with orgasms. Definitely one-on-one is if you're ready to like really transform intensely your relationship to pleasure and also that you have the time and resources to do that which not everybody does. And so because of that, I also have a course that I really recommend called the Pleasure Devotional, which Mm. is a self-paced online course where you completely just transform your relationship to pleasure and orgasm. And that's really, really great. And it's got a lot of journaling prompts. It's very interactive. It's got homework and like embodied practices that you do. Mm. And the other way would be through Eros community as well, because we there, we have a unit that we, we do, we've already done. So it's on the replay that's specifically on having more orgasms. But one of the things that's interesting is there's this real fixation and I've been guilty of it too, personally and professionally on orgasm. And Sometimes people actually just don't really know what orgasms are and they don't really know how to have them or they might be having them and not even realize, or they're so focused on chasing the orgasm that they're not actually experiencing the pleasure that their body is. Yeah. So also there's a whole correlation towards the nervous system and sexual arousal and excitation. So it's really interesting to be able to unpack that with people, whether in group or individual settings, because there's so much misinformation. So on the one hand, there's so much misinformation and lack of education on pleasure, particularly for female-bodied people and female-identifying people, which is kind of a big part of my focus. I actually do see male clients and non-binary clients, but the majority of my practice is on female-identifying pleasure and femme femininity and then on the other hand we have this intense burden as socialized female people we have this intense burden and obligation and expectation on orgasm so it's Mm. like a horrible cocktail that almost always equals performative sex with no embodied pleasure for female people and I mean you can turn on any movie that has a sex scene and see a perfect example of this any movie pretty much I'd say 9.5 out of 10 
if it has a sex scene with the person with a vagina, there is zero foreplay, there is immediate insertion, and they have a vaginal-only orgasm. And this is just not statistically common. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like in, in my country, the sex education is just horrendous. And they talk about male ejaculation, but nowhere is there ever mentioned about female. Yeah. Yeah. There's no focus on, on pleasure, on orgasm, no. on consent in the US, in Australia too. I actually lived in the US for seven years. I just moved back to Australia a few oh, months ago. Okay. So like I'm pretty familiar with the education system there, and it's just yeah. terrible, but not Isn't just- it? Yeah, not just the education in schools, but also just the education that you receive just driving down the street, like billboards, the Mm -hmm. radio, movies, TV. It's just terrible. It's just 50% obligation and 50% no education. So I just don't understand how anyone honestly (laughs) is able to feel pleasure and have orgasms that are female socialized. Oh, yeah. Focus of my life. Oh, I think that's fantastic that you're doing that. It's so needed, obviously. Yeah. I hope one day that I work myself out of a job and my job is redundant, but I don't know that that will happen in my lifetime. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? And I'm a huge proponent of sex toys. And I've seen you have some on your post too. And I feel like for women who never had an orgasm or they just don't really understand their body, they're a great tool for women to learn. Yeah, definitely. I like that you say tool. I've been trying to reframe my language from sex toys to sex tools lately because yeah. I feel like toys kind of like I've always called them that, but I'm I'm recently trying to change my language because I think toys kind of like trivializes it when mm-hmm. honestly for yeah. most people with vulvas, they need definitely external clitoral stimulation, but, but yes. most commonly also with vibratory toys. So they are very or tools. See, I just did it. Um, They are very (laughs) important. The thing that drives me crazy. I mean, I do reviews too, and I just, I'm always promoting sex toys. A lot of men will say, oh, well, what are we needed for? And I always respond with, no, no, no. Sex tools (laughs) are an enhancement, an enhancement to solo play and as a couple. And but men get all like up in arms and like, well, why does she need me then? What's your yeah, it's, at? I have a lot of feelings because it, of course they feel like that. I completely mm-hmm. understand. I'm sure I'd feel the same if I was socialized the way they are, which right. is like, again, like the patriarchy does not just affect women negatively. It affects men too. And they True. feel this like huge burden to make women orgasm, but they actually don't know how to do it. So it's like, True. of course they feel terrible. But I always just say like tools are your wingmen, you know, it's not a replacement mm-hmm. for you. It's just like, if right. you were going to, this is very heteronormative example, but let's say you a guy and you're going to build a table. Are you just going to build that table with your bare hands? Like, are you seriously think you can right. cut the wood with your hands, sand <laughs> the wood with your hands, nail it together with your hands? Like, no, mate, like you need tools. You need things yes. that make it an even more enjoyable experience. And guys can use, you know, penis owners and, and men can use tools too. And yes. um, there's lots of amazing sex tools for men too. And it's oh, yeah. just like, why not have more pleasure? But the, of course we know why is because they feel threatened. They feel they'll yes. be replaced. And I think mm-hmm. if you're so worried that a vibrator is going to replace you, one, bring a vibrator. And then it's not just a vibrator, but there's also you. So yes. you've got that up your sleeve. 
And then two, like develop your sex techniques, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. learn more tools and techniques so you could feel sexually confident. Like when people say they're nervous about sex toys replacing them, I just want to give them a big hug and say like, you know, I, I hear you. I hear that you're feeling insecure and you're feeling worried and, and that's okay. There's things we can do for that, but they're beautiful accompaniments. Like who doesn't want to have more pleasure? Exactly. Exactly. Everyone does. <laughs> and and I feel like too, you know, for for men or women even who are nervous about them, you know, you just have to read your partner. Mm-hmm. If what you're doing and they're just like, you know, they don't really they're not responding, move it around. Just read your partner. Yeah. It's not scary. It's not I mean, we need to get away from it being a scary thing. I always tell people just start with something simple like a simple wand or a bullet. And, you know, a yes. wand is nice because you could get it for muscles and use it on a sore oh, part in your back. That's what I mainly use my Hitachi for, to be honest. Yeah. And, and you can eventually <laughs> maybe move that to sexual organs if some, you know, if a woman or a man are hesitant to try that. And the other thing that drives me crazy is that men think, well, what is that going to do for me? And I always say to them, have you ever put it on your penis? It might feel good. Why not yeah. try it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I think too that a lot of people they feel awkward during sex. Like, and if there's mm. one thing that the mas- masculine energy doesn't like, it's feeling uncertain of what they're doing. True. And so then, if you make them naked and uncertain, they're not going to like that. So I always just recommend like having open conversations and dialogue. I'll, I'll give your listeners one of my like little games for free that's really fun which is it's just is so fun and easy to play it's called the ab game mm-hmm. so all you do is you just do two different types of touch whether that's with a toy with your tongue with your fingers and you say which feels better so you might do like say you have a bullet you might stroke it gently up and down in an upwards downwards direction over the external clit and you'd say okay this is touch a and then let's say you draw it in circles you say this is b which feels better just a b game just a or b perfect and it's such a fun, conversational, easy way to learn what your partner likes. And also a lot of the time people receiving pleasure actually don't know what they like. So then the person mm. who's like playing with them with a toy, they're trying to make them feel good and they're asking them what would feel good, what would feel good. And then the other person doesn't know, so they don't know how to respond. Oh. And then it just like goes into shutdown. So just sure. play together and explore. You don't have to have it all figured out. I think playing a game like that is a great idea because it kind of takes the pressure off of them looking exactly. at each other like, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. You know? And it's like sex should have all different, in my opinion, sex should have all different flavors, different colors. Mm-hmm. So it's like sometimes it might be really serious. Sometimes it might be really silly. You know, it's right. okay for it to be different in different times. Oh, yeah. And I think people I need think to be open fun. to that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I, I think that more people should try that. And anything that can kind of take your, the focus off of them. That's why I like erotica and like erotic audiobooks because a couple could just sit there and listen. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. 
Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With our special offer, go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, "Hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Totally. And then afterwards say, hey, like which part turned you on the most? Or were there any parts that you found really challenging to listen to? You know, like just talk about it. Absolutely. I noticed you also bring BDSM into your work. How do you bring that in and, and how do you kind of display that or introduce that to people who may be very hesitant? Yeah, BDSM is actually a huge part of my work, even though a lot of people, even my clients wouldn't realize it because <laughs> The cornerstones of BDSM are, we've already just touched on one, which is communication. Another cornerstone is expectation. So figuring out what Mm -hmm. your expectations for the session are. Another is consent. Another is boundaries. So we have these really, really, and aftercare as well, which is kind of what we were just chatting about of like, after you listen to some erotica, you might say like, which parts were good for you? Which parts were challenging? That's aftercare. It means talking about sex after it doesn't have to be the second you're done. It can be later that day or the next day. It does not matter. But those foundations are really, really important to weave into any sexual experience, even if the sex itself practically or psychologically is what we would call vanilla, which just means not kinky. Right. It's not an insult. It just means not kinky. Um, <laughs> some people think it's an insult. I'm like, they no, do. no, ice cream is no, so good. Right? <laughs> But so those are the key cornerstones that I weave in with client sessions and with their sex life. But also, and that's something that's really important to all sex sessions to have those fundamentals. And Mm. also one of the things I love about BDSM that I also weave in, particularly when I work with couples, is power dynamics. We Mm. usually have implicit paradynamics meaning it is not something that has been clearly discussed between the couple of like Mm. who is in charge of what who takes the lead on what and and before I get into this actually I'll just preface to say like it's only 
we have to have healthy trust, respect, and communication skills for this to work. It, yes. As one of my favorite mentors, Esther Perel says, you know, it's not, I'll paraphrase her, but it, that it's not fun if you're in an abusive relationship to pretend to play at abuse, like during sex, like that's not yeah, fun no. because it's your lived no. experience. So these right. principles, and, and I've lived that experience, I can confirm it's not fun. Yeah, so right. it's much like with my current partner, we have such respect and love and clear communication. So like when we do things that other people maybe would find degrading to me, it is like the best and so much fun. And so it's important that we have that safety, whether it's someone that you're having sex with casually or a long-term partnership, but being able to take paradynamics from the implicit to the explicit, meaning that we verbally talk about it is so important and it's so much fun to be able to, particularly when I work with couples, we'll just pick, I listen first for a lot and figure out which I think will be the most helpful for them to begin in. So Mm. then we'll pick one person who's going to be the leader and the other person who's going to be the follower. And we talk a lot about what that looks like, you know, in the bedroom and out of it. And then after that is a very established, safe, comfortable dynamic, then we'll usually flip it and have the other person take that role. And then after that period, we'll kind of evaluate like, Hey, like what felt best for you and what Mm. felt most organic for you? Where did your energy flow most easily? Because people have a lot of patriarchal gender constructs in the head, meaning like male identifying people should be tops and they are masculine energy and female identifying people should be bottoms and they're feminine energy, but that's not accurate. And everybody can be anything. And there's more genders than just those two, but feminine and masculine are not associated with gender. So often someone, regardless of their gender identity will have like, let's say a more feminine energy mm-hmm. and they might feel better expressing that through more of a submissive leap following energy. Sure. And of course there's so many ways for feminine energy people to be the leader. And, and that is true too, but it's not helpful when we're just assuming and figuring out what no, right. people want through practice like that. And often what I see in my practice is the years of built up resentment towards each mm. other because yeah. there has been too much assuming. I would say like assuming mm. is a virus in relationships. Yeah, I can see that. So we, we take, we throw assuming out, we look at clear communication and we just have fun playing with power dynamics and, and see what feels good, what flows more organically for each person. And then we're in pleasure and in embodiment. And now we have control. We can play with different power dynamics. We can flip the script. There's so much we can do once we're in that space. I think that's so true. And I think I've talked to some, you know, people ask me, even though I'm not like trained in sexuality or anything, because of what I do, what I write in my podcast, people will come to me in DMs and be like, you know, I've been with my wife for 30 years, whatever, an X amount of time. The big thing I often see, which ties into your assumption, is that they think because they've been together for so long that there should be some mind reading going on. And I think that's ridiculous. There's Nobody stays the same over 30 years, for one thing. You still need to communicate and you can't assume that the other person knows what you mean just because you've been Mm -hmm. together for that long. Absolutely. And we, there's a beautiful quote that I'll paraphrase and probably butcher, but about how loving someone long-term is attending thousands of their funerals, meaning we have to be open to our partner being a different person every day and being curious and asking questions and not assuming. 
Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I had one man who was like, well, she thinks I know what she wants all the time, but she won't talk to me. Mm. I mean, obviously needs need some therapy there, but yeah, I mean, how can she expect him to know what she wants if she doesn't say anything? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we it's just kind of like normal logic, right? Yeah. But unfortunately, particularly through our culture yeah. and particularly for people socialized female, we have this really ingrained idea that a partner if they're the right partner for us, that they will be able to read our mind. And that's romantic. Right. <laughs> it's right. not practical or realistic. And it's totally or ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually not romantic and not sexy. Like it's right. so romantic and sexy to be able to tell someone what you like and for them yeah. to, to, to meet that need. Right. For them to want to do that and for them to get into mm-hmm. that and like really do it. Yeah. I mean, if your partner wants to know what you desire and that's awesome. Like, well, let's not punish them for not knowing it. I know. Right. And let's punish, let's not punish them for not knowing it. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just talk. Right. I've done interviews of three different doms of three different male doms. They were Mm -hmm. very, very different relationships. But as you said before, too, the key thing between all three of them was like one of the first things they said was communication and like constant mm-hmm. communication. And that's where I think some dom-sub relationships really get it. And it gets a bad rap across the world, of course, because people take it the wrong way, but communication, topmost. Yeah, communication and communication of expectations is really, really important, regardless of like what type of sex you're having, but particularly if you're having higher risk sex, like BDSM, mm-hmm. it's just so important. But even if you're having lower risk, you know, more quote unquote vanilla sex, like I, I work with couples often where I just say, okay, why don't we just practice before you have sex, you each communicate like what your needs and desires are. Do you care if you have an orgasm for that session? You know, right. what is your expectation? Because when you know what your expectation is, you can relax and be present. Sure. And have more fun. And that's what it's about anyway. Oh yeah, absolutely. What do you, how do you approach someone who, we talked about abuse a little bit ago, that Mm -hmm. maybe had abuse in their past that uh, somehow in some way touches into the sexual realm. How do you approach that person? And what is like, how do you, how do you get the first step to make them move forward in healing? I, I mean, in some ways I'm almost, this is kind of a controversial thing to say, I suppose, but I find gratitude in my lived experience of abuse, not that I would seek it out or that I'm speaking to any level of victim blaming, but I'm able to see that it's very helpful for me in my practice because I can really understand on a visceral felt level what it's like. And sure. I mean, truly there's so many, so many layers, you know, one of the things that another mentor of mine, Jaya said in a workshop that I was at is how we, it's very hard for the body of an abuser to sometimes tell the difference between the body of an abuser versus non-abuser. So sometimes, Mm. particularly if you're engaging in activities that are similar or adjacent to any type of abuse you experience, the nervous system can be really triggered. So Uh, it's the number one thing I do when working with survivors is focusing on how can we develop a felt sense of safety in the body and really deeply tending to their nervous system. Like they come in expecting to talk about sex, but we really very much focus in the beginning (laughs) on the nervous system because 
when the nervous system is activated, when we're in an adrenal response or we're activated in our sympathetic nervous system, we it's very, very hard for the sexual excitation system, you know, for arousal and desire to develop in the body. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it this way, if you're in the wild and you're running from a bear and you're running with someone, a lover, and then they turn to you while you're running and hiding from this bear and say, hey, would you like to have sex? You probably right. would not like to have sex. Yes. So our nervous systems are not attuned to discerning the differences between past present and future trauma. So when we're activated in any type of stress, whether that's like workplace stress or a past history of abuse and trauma, it's very hard for the body to tell the difference between that and what is happening right now. It feels to the nervous system like it's happening right now. So we very much focus on more of like the science and the neuroscience around the nervous system so that they can develop a felt sense of safety in the body. And I really also for this highly recommend, because this is not my specialty. I do work with clients on this, but I wouldn't say it's my specialty. The person who I refer out to for this particularly would be Kimberly Johnson, who has incredible programs and knowledge of the nervous system. And I've learned a lot of it through her work. Mm. Um, And she actually just released a book last year. That's really, really good that I would recommend. I think it's called I'll, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes, but oh, yeah, yeah. Johnson Shanley has one, but I just can't remember what it's called in it, like inner Jaguar or the call of the wild or something like that, but it's very good. So I really recommend that. And then of course, Dr. Nagoski and her sister's book burnout is really, really good too. So once we can develop that felt sense of safety in the body, and then we can reestablish more trust with the self and then start establishing trust with others. But Also, honestly, a huge part of working with abuse survivors is helping them, you know, feel the truth in their body that it wasn't their fault Mm -hmm. and that they're releasing a lot of internalized blame that often gets caught and held in the body. It's very important. Oh, absolutely. Is it kind of more of a retraining your brain to think a different way so that your body responds a different way instead of going to that? fear or, you know, flight or what do they call that? Flight Dream or response. It's fight, flight, freeze, or tendon refred. Yes. Yeah, right. It, there's a combination of that. So the combination of the nervous system and embodied trauma. So there's also a great book, The Body Keeps the Score, which speaks to this too. Mm. And then, yes, the other part is there's a lot of mental programming that can happen, which is something that I do a lot of my work of working with the limited science we do have around pleasure arousal. And also I work in uh, areas of neuroscience and neurolinguistic programming to look at how neurons, when they fire together, they wire together. So sometimes when you Mm. experience trauma, you can develop unconscious associations and deprogramming them is really helpful and reprogramming those neurons towards pleasure and safety and trust is very, very helpful highly interesting to me. I'm actually trained as a nurse as well. So that just Mm. like clicks off a bunch of things in my brain. And one thing I want to ask though, is how about shame? Like say someone (laughs) has experienced, has experienced something in the past that unintentionally got linked to something sexual and they're trying to separate between it being shame, but yet potentially causing pleasure and very conflicted about that. Have you come across that kind of situation? Oh yeah. I mean, I would say that shame is probably the number one symptom of all of my clients and students. 
So there's a couple of things you can do here. One is, is finding someone safe that you can practice naming it with sometimes, mm-hmm. whether that's like someone like myself or just a friend, sometimes that's honestly can be enough to disrupt those neurons that keep firing together that are routing shame, associating shame with whatever the secondary firing is. And that can really help just kind of, you know, quote unquote, getting it off your chest. <laughs> that can be very helpful because often things that we feel shame around, we hide them in this dark velvety black closet within ourselves. And we think, oh, Mm -hmm. don't let anyone look in here. And I won't look in here. And and we disown and sever those parts of ourselves. Sometimes being able to name them and treat them either with love or neutrality, we can shine this beautiful love light on them and say, hey, this is okay. There's nothing wrong in feeling this way. You know, this is a safe choice for our body. And then the other option, which which I really love, is actually eroticizing shame. And you can also look into the work of Dr. Carolyn Elliott, who is very interesting on this topic on existential kink, but it's where we look at something that we feel shame about, and then we eroticize that feeling of shame. Okay. It's a beautiful way to reclaim. It steps you back into control and ownership of it. I like, and that's that. not for everybody, but but it's a practice I really like, and I I yeah. think it's a a fun way because often too, like I, I don't say this to minimize any experience, but sometimes we have this idea I think that we develop over time and conditioning that healing has to be really like hard and painful and yeah. like this whole dark night of the soul shit, right? And and sometimes it is, but. I think it's important that we actually question whether it, it feels that way because it's what we're expecting. So it's what we're projecting our experience into the frame of, or is it just actually feeling that way? And sure. I just really like to remind people that there's other options in processing and healing your trauma. It actually can be a fun, light, loving, beautiful experience, and it can be heavy too. It can be all things, but just reminding people that there are other ways to feel about things and they're valid too. Cause we often don't have any modeling of that. That's true. That is so true. Wow. That's definitely a massive thing to explore. And I just, I feel for people that are going through that. And I recently was talking with a friend on social media and he was feeling shame about his fetishes mm-hmm. and so he was reaching out on different social media platforms to be like, am I weird? You know, anybody else feeling this way? And of course, someone else is. But, you know, I just, my heart like ached for him that he felt like I'm weird. I need to go find someone else that's like me to validate that it's okay that I have this fetish. Mm-hmm. And- it's funny because to me, it's funny because then you find somebody else validated, but then you probably say within yourself, oh, but they're weird too. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> and then, Maybe we just need to get rid of the weird statement, right? Nobody's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody's weird, I think. Um, I think everybody's weird, exactly. <laughs> also like fetishes thrive on the feeling of that. But yes, it's interesting too, because like a fetish in particular as, as separate from a kink is something that we need for mm. to experience sex. So yeah, they often thrive on the feeling of like guilt and shame, but mm. I joke that like 90% of my job, it's barely a joke is just saying to people, mm-hmm, that's normal. <laughs> like just record yourself saying mm-hmm, that's normal and then speak your fetish and then listen to yourself like on the replay because it's fine. Oh, I love that. <laughs> as long as it's like safe and risk aware, you know, risk aware and consensual, like don't worry about it, you know. 
Yeah. And this is, this is why I write erotica and I love erotica because people can like immerse themselves in fetishes and it's kind of Mm -hmm. passive. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, Mm -hmm. it takes a focus off off of them and it's like, they can enjoy it, but it's kind of a little bit on the outside of them, but yet they still get to immerse themselves in it and imagine being in that story. Erotic is also great, particularly going back to people with fetishes. It's also great because you can explore things that you could never explore, you know, in this world, yeah. whether that's for like practical or emotional reasons, you know, you can have sex with unicorns and stuff. That's pretty neat. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, there's like not that feeling of like fear that perhaps, you know, if you're watching pornography that involves adult human beings mm-hmm. that are consenting, can still sometimes wonder or worry like oh well I hope this was consensual and is that person yes. actually really enjoying themselves like there's a production company called four play films that I really recommend mm. it's female owned I'm in one of them as a rigor and that's great because you can it's really focused on seeing people really enjoy having sex and not worry so much about like the mm. angles and and what yeah. they're doing but so finding porn like that is great. But yeah, erotica is, is fantastic because you don't have to worry about any of that. And you can really just, like you're saying, surrender into it and really enjoy it. Yeah. What really struck me in what you just said is that there's such a difference between erotica and porn because mm-hmm. you have those facial expressions. And, you know, there may be a flicker of an expression on someone in porn where you're like, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't look like that person is enjoying this. And mm-hmm. it just kind of ruins it. You know what I mean? But in erotica, it's all in your own brain. So you're just like imagining it, how it's being said. And you don't have that flicker of a expression where it makes you question. Well, the thing about erotica too, that's really good. Is it actually, it engages the the listener or the reader much more deeply. It's actually like, I hear you saying passive. To me, it feels actually much more active because you have to use your imagination to imagine what is happening. So like, let's say they don't describe the person's hair color. Well, you're going to give them a hair color. You're probably Mm -hmm. not going to make them bold in your head. Well, you might be probably not. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Your subconscious writes in the added details that makes it more erotic and more nourishing to you. And then also like one of the things that I hate in in porn, it does happen to an erotica is like, you might be really, really into it. And then all of a sudden they like say or do something that you is a real turnoff for you. And this has happened to me before. Mm -hmm. And, and then like you had been so in the moment and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh gross. Like that is just not a turn on for me. And I always say like, you know, whatever floats your boat, as long as it doesn't sink somebody else's. (laughs) Um, Yes. (laughs) But with erotica, like, I don't know, at least for me, if I read something that I'm like, that didn't really like do it for me, you kind of just like get to the next line and like pretend it didn't happen in your head and like, <laughs> or like rewrite it a little bit in your head. Yeah, sure. So I feel like it's just much more engaging and participatory and you're able to write in the extra plot lines. Maybe a better word than passive is more, it, it takes a focus and the pressure off of if a couple were listening to it or reading it together, it takes a focus. It doesn't it takes the focus off of them so much and it mm-hmm. puts it elsewhere so that they can really think about it and feel it instead of being on the spot, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's it's such a good tool. And one of the things I often encourage my couples clients to do is to write erotica write erotica together, where like one person writes the first sentence or the first chapter and then the next ah. person writes the next. It's a really fun thing, like way to kind of sex with each other, but you're you're building a shared storyline and dynamic. And you're also learning like through reading how your partner writes, you're learning what things they actually like and what mm. things they focus on. And particularly for people who are 
feminine identifying people or female identifying people, Mm -hmm. they, either of those types of people usually are less visually driven, whereas often male people and masculine identifying people are more visually driven. So particularly for female people, but neurotic can be really good. (laughs) Absolutely. I totally agree. I have a question for you on masturbation. How do you think masturbation fits in a relationship? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the primary relationship that we all have is to ourselves. So Mm -hmm. it's very important to have like a healthy relationship with yourself, both like mentally and sexually and spiritually and physically and emotionally. And and in all the ways, like we, I think that I've noticed in my years of practice that the, the issues in, in solo sex in partnerships is usually because one partner is actually not feeling fed enough. Mm. So then they view the other person's solo sex life as a threat because they're not or feeling fed enough. So it feels like more for you is less for me. Mm. And this often happens. This is just like a sort of biological framework of like with cishet couples, mm. this often happens because of the way that testosterone builds usually over the course of a week, rather mm. that female driven hormones like estrogen, they, they course a lot differently. And then the male hormone cycle is also a 24 hour one. So that's super interesting that people with penises usually are horniest in the beginning of the day. And then interesting. it ebbs, but it's often the reverse for people with all this. But so meaning to say that like a lot of the studies show that it's most helpful for people with penises to have orgasms like about once a week, because the testosterone can really, really build up. But okay. for people with vulvas, these are limited studies. And I'm not saying this, any of this is like a blanket statement. This was just sure. like reflection on this. And I have seen it to be helpful with my clients. Whereas people with vulvas, there is no like limit <laughs> to how much right. they can have sex. Usually <laughs> any sex had by some of the vulva will actually increase desire for more sex. Yes. But that's not always the case for people with penises and they have a yeah. refractory period usually. So Right. All of that to say, usually I see that as an issue because the other person is feeling lack or the other person is projecting their own repression and trauma onto the other partner and saying like mm. solo sex is bad or, you know, sinful. Right. We have a lot of in Yes, the whole religion thing thoughts. of it being yes. shameful. Yeah. Uh-huh. But like, you know, the, the best thing you can do to feel close to yourself spiritually or, or to feel spiritually connected to the world, I believe, is to engage in pleasure, whether that's solo sex, partner sex, eating a piece of fruit mindfully, spending time looking at a tree, gardening. Like this is how, in my opinion, we can feel close to God. But sure. I think that's great too. And I think that people should recognize that it's not just a desire issue. It's highly biological. Yes. And also I think like, that's a hard thing for people to grasp. Yeah. And I've actually read the Bible cover to cover. Oh. <laughs> and I went to a Christian girl's school for a few years. And I've had experience in the church. So I, I have pretty good amount of knowledge around that. And I also have a good amount of knowledge around biology and science as it pertains to pleasure. And sure. in case anybody doesn't know, the clitoris is the only organ in the entire body that has no purpose other than pleasure. So I if, read that. If, I love it. <laughs> if someone listening believes deeply in God and feel in a Christian God and feels shame for pleasure and sex and solo sex, 
please remember that if God made you, God made you perfect and God made you with a perfect clitoris to perfectly experience pleasure in whatever way that your clitoris does. And God makes no mistakes. I love that statement. <laughs> that is the statement that so many people need to hear. It's almost <laughs> ridiculous, especially in my country. I feel like everybody's got this, you know, Puritan mm-hmm. background that just makes everybody bit prudish. No, you know? Like I love God and I love religion. I'm, I'm non-denominational myself, but I love mm-hmm. talking to religious people and, you know, probably being a little provocative because <laughs> like, yeah, like I've read it. I know all the things y'all say, like God doesn't make mistakes. So like, right. I think like, this is so controversial for me to say, I guess, but I think it's sort of like, um, heretical to not experience pleasure and not enjoy it and not pursue it because then you're saying that God made a mistake making you that way. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is such a good point. It's almost ridiculous. (laughs) Right. And like also the the vaginal canal has almost no nerve endings. This is like a common misconception. Yes. Yes. To be corrected. And if anyone's thinking, how can that be true? Please think to yourself of what childbirth would feel like if you have to birth a child through your clit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so we don't have a lot of nerve endings in our vagina because of childbirth. Otherwise it would like, I don't, you just black out immediately from yes. the pain. <laughs> so again, coming back to God, because I actually <laughs> think like, even for people that don't have much of a religious upbringing, like you still were raised most likely in a world that does. So like you still get mm-hmm. the influences, even yes. if you weren't directly raised in it. Yep. And you know, again, coming back to God, like if God designed vaginas and vulvas that way means that it is important for us to experience pleasure, but pleasure is separate to childbirth and procreation because otherwise, you know, it would be designed differently. So I just feel quite adamant about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. That is like, that should be like blasted across the entire world. (laughs) Yeah. And, and people with vulvas, they're the only creatures, the only type of human who has body part that's just for pleasure. So that's just like such a beautiful gift. And I think it speaks a lot to the feminine and the divine feminine of like, we are chaos, we are birth and death and pleasure is not just our birthright, but something that we're biologically programmed to constantly engage with. Yes. And it's not something that unfortunately gets downplayed a lot. And so, you know, these girls are people with vulvas are growing up thinking so many things that they're just missing out on. And it just really makes me sad. I wish that mm-hmm. that it would just be so different for everyone. And I know there's the work you're doing is fantastic. I mean, this Thank is you. what we need. <laughs> this is what Thank we need you. in the world. <laughs> it's important to me. And sometimes like, I question myself and I'm like, oh, am I being silly? Like feeling so passionately about this, but no. I really think that people that are like, just the other day, I was joking with my husband and we were joking about, he was saying something that I was, I had been complaining about, right? I can't remember mm. what it was. <laughs> something practical, you know, let's just say it was like him leaving his socks. It wasn't that because I'm the one who leaves <laughs> my socks everywhere, but let's just say it was. And I, and I was joking saying, yeah, like when we're having a lot of sex, like I don't complain about anything because I like don't <laughs> fucking care. Yes. Um, And like, that is a microcosm, but in the macrocosm, like if we all collectively are having a lot of good sex and just feeling like really juicy and well-fucked all the time, like Mm -hmm. we have less complaints and like we're more receptive to different opinions and want to do good to take care of others and take care of the planet. And I mean, a huge part of my focus in life is around environmental care. And I just feel that these two things go hand in hand. 
Yeah. And the thing that just struck me in what you said is kind of like being hangry, right? Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you're hungry, you really can't think, right? That's a great example. I might steal that. <laughs> you totally can. I would love if That's you did. <laughs> really accurate. Like my husband, when he's hangry, is just like unbearable. Like I cannot be around him. Yeah. And like, that's like kind of, yes, we have like, oh my God, you're just like activating me so much right now. Yes. We have like a collective <laughs> global, sexually hangry people and yes. not helpful, productive, nourishing, nourished members of society. We get so these, it, it really place, these blocks because of that. Yes. It's just all these walls popping up all over the damn place. Yes. Making us unproductive and it's not the way it was intended. <laughs> no, 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 no. Pleasure is our birthright. It's so important. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that's just, uh, that's amazing. What a thought. <laughs> so where do you stand on self-care related to non-sexual purposes? It's super like, important. It's yeah. super important. I like to call it self-tending just because self-care has been, in my opinion, mm. like very radically co-opted by capitalism. Yes. Um, but self-tending is very, very important. And like I spoke to earlier on the nervous system, when we're activated in our sympathetic nervous system, when we're feeling stressed, we usually really struggle to activate our arousal and desire systems. And it's important to understand the role of stress in the body. And I, I touch on this in a few of my courses and workshops, because mm. When you experience a stressor, so that could be a fight with a partner, that could be a challenging job, that could be systemic racism, that could be sexism, it could be, you know, lived systemic experiences as well as individual ones, you know, the death of the loved one or like literally like traffic. Traffic is a stressor as well. When you experience a stressor, it creates a stress response cycle in the body. And when that stress response cycle can't be completed, they stack up like pancakes in the body. Mm. And then when you are doing things that complete stress response cycles, they go through and they get completed. That's why sometimes, you know, you might be working out or having sex and all of a sudden you'll like stop crying or like you're watching a movie that's really funny. And then all of a sudden you start crying or like you get a little right. shake. Yes. Um, kind of on edge. Body. Yes. So that's a stress response cycle being completed. Usually it's mm-hmm. a good thing, even though it doesn't always feel awesome. But so (laughs) (laughs) when we're experiencing all of these stresses that we experience as like a result of of daily modern racist patriarchal culture, they just stack up in the body. And if we're not tending to ourselves, we're not creating space. And I say creating because it's very intentional. You know, most people don't live a life where stress response cycles are organically completed. So we really must make effort to tend to ourselves and take care of ourselves because again, I tie everything back to sex, Scorpio rising, because without being able to relax into the parasympathetic, into the relaxed nervous system, we're usually unable to really experience pleasure and embodied pleasure, whether it's sexual or non-sexual. Right. It's like scientifically important. I know, like right? I mean, you know, all this stuff goes back to science and which is really intriguing and interesting and why people should not get offended if certain things happen this way or that, or, you know, failings. A lot of it is basically biology and science-based. So Mm -hmm. there should be no bad feelings about, about certain things because science is science. It it is. Yeah. And, and it's also actually very, very modern and we're still figuring a lot of things out. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that I'm 
I hold dear in my personal and professional practice is that science is usually the confirmation of indigenous wisdom mm-hmm. that oh, has sure. been like right. mocked over the years. Yes. And Even in my country. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So it is something that's ever shifting. So I do try to hold like a loose grip on science and right. an open-mindedness to being mm-hmm. wrong because I think about how confident everybody was that the earth was flat and, <laughs> and science changed that. And some people have swung back, but you know, <laughs> we're constantly learning new things. Like I think, you know, what did people think about gravity before they knew what it was? And then oh, I know. in 10 years, they're like, you know what? Actually, we're wrong about gravity. <laughs> what it actually is, is something else. It's like, okay. Right. Cool. Um, was- we have to hold it gently in like our embodied experience versus, you know, scientific confirmation of these things as well. Oh, absolutely. Recently, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who is a sexual worker. And she mm-hmm. was telling me about how Native people's in America viewed sexual orientation. And it was just mind blowing to me. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've looked into that at all, but there are people, I can't even like form the words correctly, but there, there was like a, almost a reverence for people who were open to sexuality in multiple different ways and multiple different sexes and with multiple different types of people identified as different sexes. And it was like actually glorified and, mm-hmm. and, you know, in our <laughs> patriarchal, it's, seen as negative and bad. And I just thought, wow, it's like the opposite. And how crazy is that, that it has slipped into that being the predominant view that it's bad. And and I know it's switching back and that's good, but I mean, wow. I mean, it's pretty heady. If you think about that for years, native peoples of America were more that way. And then just got switched. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot that puritanical uh, culture has brought to benefit and behoove sexual wellness. I know, right? But I mean, I think it's just how comfortable are we holding difference in lived experiences and and can Mm -hmm. we see the value in it? Like, I won't speak to this much because I'm honestly just so tired of this particular topic of like COVID related things. But in terms of like, there's so much like divisiveness right now around like vaccines and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And I don't have an opinion to be honest. But one of the things I think is interesting is how that people that are very pro-vax are very scared of people that don't want to get this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the other day of like, and I'm personally vaccinated just because people will get up in arms if I don't say that, but I, that was my choice, but I, I'm pro-choice of people's bodies. Yeah. And I was thinking like, it's interesting how people don't view unvaccinated people as someone who's like taking a beautiful risk to protect, like, to like, you know, expose themselves Mm or like help us, you know, be a little bit exposed to it as well. But I just think it's interesting. I'm not going to talk on that, but I just wanted to say that like, it's interesting how uncomfortable we are with holding people's different choices rather than seeing how could this, their different experience benefit me. Like I, as a white woman, learned so much from reading books about anti-racism and talking Mm -hmm. to my black friends. And it's like, I learn through a different experience. We don't have to have the same experience for it to benefit me. Right. So like, if someone like, it's so funny to me when people, I was watching a TV show the other day and I can't remember what it was, but like the dad, oh no, it was a, it was a movie. I can't remember what it was called. It was really good. It was about a, a mother who was dying of cancer and she had a gay son. What's it called? I don't know. Oh yeah. Other people. It's called other people. Oh, okay. And there's like the main character is gay and the dad is having a little trouble with that. And he like won't mm. come up to the apartment and 
And they talk later about his gayness and, and I'm a queer woman myself. And so I, and you really related to this, but it was funny how he said to his dad, like, you know, I want to talk to you about my boyfriends and my sexuality. And his dad was like, I'm happy to debate that with you anytime. And he's like, it's not a fucking debate. Debate? No. It's so funny to me that people have, I mean, it's funny. And it's also, of course, very sad that people have these like different opinions. Cause it's like, I'm if you don't want to have gay sex, don't have it. If you don't want right. to have sex, don't have it. None of this is like <laughs> anybody else's problem. It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> it's not going to hurt you, but people feel so set for their own mm-hmm. personal and sometimes, you know, spiritual reasons for people right. to have different experiences than them. And like, I used to be vegan for a long time mm. and people would often project to me that they were worried I was judging them for eating meat, which like oh, I yeah. genuinely wasn't. Oh, yeah. And I think anyone who's ever like not been drinking when they've been out with people that are drinking have experienced this of like people project their own fears and judgments on you. Like I always joke that I'm unshameable because people can be like, oh my God, you're such a fucking slut. You're always like showing your ass on the internet. And I'm like, you know it, girl. Like, because I don't fucking care. And the more embodied you are in embracing yourself and the more you can release shame when other people try to shame you you can yes. not only not take it personally but actually meet them with unconditional love because like yes. when people shame me now I just think oh my god you poor heart like I'm I love so, you so sorry much. that you're yes. like that yes I'm so sorry no. that you don't feel comfortable in your sexuality that that's hot I remember that I'm here with you it's okay man that hits me hard because I have been a vegetarian since I was 13. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you how many people are instantly concerned with what I'm eating and why am I eating (laughs) this? And am I getting enough food? And I'm like, I think I'm a big girl. It's always like, do you get enough protein? Always protein. (laughs) Yes. And and then I think, I don't get on you if you don't eat the damn salad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't comment on George isn't eating the green beans. Oh my (laughs) gosh. Oh, is he going to get enough food? Yeah, it's just so next level. So we just like need to trust that other people's experiences are their experience and that it's actually very important for other people to have their own experience. And who mm-hmm. are we to think that we know a better way or know nice. their path better than them? And, and that's actually a really big bulk of my work is not professionally, particularly one-on-one sessions, is not thinking I could be so egomaniacal to know what would be helpful. And instead just like, listen and hold space and be there and yeah, answer questions if they have them, but really just be there, like be that loving, unconditional witness. Yes. A couple of things we've talked about just makes me think of how people think that they want to press themselves and their opinions on others because they think it's so right. Instead of being unconditional, Mm -hmm. you know, the the, the whole debate issue, I'm going to debate that being (laughs) gay with you, you know? (laughs) How about we just be unconditional and be like, I respect you for having your own brain and having your own thoughts. And I'm not going to debate you and try to push you into what I am. Why do we have to yeah. try to push each other into what we are instead of accepting each other? I, I just, I struggle with that. Yeah. And I love talking to people who have different opinions to me because I like understanding their opinion and where they're coming sure. from. And I like articulating mine, but at no point in that, am I thinking like, one of us will win because like winning right. would mean that like, you change someone's mind. And like, actually from when I was vegan, which I'm not anymore, but when I was mm-hmm. anyone, I influenced more vegetables or to live, you know, a more conscious dietary way. Mm-hmm. It was through them just like seeing that I felt like good and happy in my body and yes. making yummy meals for them and like never preaching. 
Exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I guess I, I don't so do that, that sexually because I'm like, here's what you can do. And it will be good. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different, that's a whole different yeah. area though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have an interesting question for you that I thought of a little while ago that I'm trying to keep in my yeah. brain and not lose. What do you think about the whole movement of people doing OnlyFans and putting themselves out, expressing their sexuality on social media and even couples who are, you know, making a joint account and being like, oh, look at us, you know, we're having sex and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And there's such a diversity in what people think, you know, that's good, that's bad. What's your take on all that? And do you think it's sort of a drive within people or where do you think it comes from? I know that's a multi-leveled question. <laughs> so answer whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for it. Power to the people, like put porn back in people's hands. Right. And like, I used to be a sex worker. I'm not anymore, but I, it's important. Like people need to be able to express themselves and make their money and like, not just have all their money taken by corporations and production companies. And I'm not, there are great production companies around, but there's also like a long history of exploitation um, through the porn industry. Mm -hmm. And even now, usually black performers and performers of color and trans performers yes. make a lot less money. So that's yes. fucked. And yep. I think it's nice to be able to put it back in people's hands and mm-hmm. for them to feel like, Oh, I feel like shooting content today. Like I'm going to shoot content from a place of like, this feels good to me and not mm-hmm. perhaps obligation. Right. Um, I think it's dangerous when companies like OnlyFans recently did like threaten to take off sex workers when sex right. workers is literally the backbone of their corporation. That makes me Yes. Mad. And I also think it's great for like couples to be able to, and anyone to be able to like explore and express themselves differently and interact differently. The issue isn't like any issues of like safety and danger around online sex work aren't ever to do, or like social alienation aren't to do with the sex work itself, but they are only to do with the, you know, patriarchal. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, usually Christian indoctrination, mm-hmm. you know, if someone judges somebody else for doing sex work for fun or for finance, then right. it's just a projection of their own trauma. And like, that's what we need to be addressing and tending to not, you know, it's like, it's the same thing as like rape culture. It's like, why mm-hmm. are we trying to make yes. women wear bulletproof vests when we could be unloading men's guns, you know? Right. Exactly. Jeez. Yeah. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm pro sex work always. It's like <laughs> such an important and beautiful profession. And I think it's interesting too. Like a lot of people like to have casual sex, but then when I ask them if they've ever considered using a sex worker for those types of needs, they're like very triggered and they're like, I don't pay yes. for sex. And I'm like, well, you do pay for sex. You're just paying for it in a different way. Right. Yep. Yep. Mm, so that's very interesting to me. It is very interesting. There's like, and often I'll see couples and they're like, oh, we want to bring in a third. And I'm like, oh, have you considered hiring a sex worker? Because like, it's such a safe choice it as is. a couple. Like you mm-hmm. can have really easy consentful conversations around expectations and like physical safety. And there's not that like, there's usually less fear around like, is this person going to try to destroy my relationship because they're being hired yes. to do a service. But and I think it's such a great choice. It's such an obvious choice to me. And then like once you feel comfortable and you've explored that, then you could like explore, you know, dating a third or bringing a third into the relationship. Yeah. 
It's interesting. <laughs> I think that is really interesting because a lot of people that maybe want to do that, that one of their fears is I don't want to lose my significant other to this person. You know, of course that has to be boundaries set up beforehand, but if you are using a sex worker, you know, not necessarily using, it seems like a weird word to say hiring maybe sounds better. Mm-hmm. It kind of takes off the fear of, Oh, you know, my significant other is going to run off into the sunset with this person. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a good foray into potentially looking at that kind of thing without the jealousy and the fear cramping it down, you know? Yeah. It's also funny because like, I mean, they can run off with somebody at the supermarket or the gym. Well, exactly. <laughs> Why is that different? I know. Right. <laughs> the the like, bottom I'm, line is a relationship and is it good? Yeah. Like my, I'm polyamorous and my partner is monogamous and people are always like, aren't you worried that she's going to like run away with someone else? And it's like, well, I could do that anyway. Like, right. (laughs) People get really latched onto it, I guess. Like Again, it's a perceived sense of safety. Yeah. It's not a real feeling of safety. That's true. And it's also people projecting their themselves on other people thinking they need to be like them. Like, yeah, it's between the couple and the couple knows the boundaries and where they stand. And you can't just look on the outside and be like, oh no, she's going to run off with somebody, you know? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I think it's also like people feeling like I wouldn't do that. So I don't want mm. you to do that. <laughs> right. Right. The whole thing I hate is when people have this thing, oh, that's not normal. Like yeah. really normal. What is normal? And I think normal people, some people think normal is like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is normal? We're like bags of bones wrapped in meat spinning around on a rock in ever-expanding universe. Right. It's like a very limited experience of um, capitalism. And it's like, I don't know where people get this idea of what is and isn't normal. It's normal to you, but like what even is normal to you? Like have you questioned how you came about your definition of normal? It's a good question to ask in those moments, I would say. Right. And why are you judging other people that they're not normal? They're not, yeah. they're not like you doesn't mean that they're, that that's not okay. Well, so one of the ways that humans cope with the chaos of existence is to try to compartmentalize people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that makes sense too. But I think the more we can have understanding and empathy for each other, the easier life yeah. gets like, and if you yeah. know, okay, well, someone's probably doing that because that helps them feel safe in the chaos of life. Then we mm-hmm. just think, Oh, okay. No problem. You know, we can understand they're just projecting their trauma onto us and it's. Absolutely. What would you say is your most important work of your life thus far? Well, Oh, such a big, um, how do you, I would have to ask myself, how do I define important? Right. Uh, Most important work of my life so far is honestly like I'll think about this later on as well, but what's coming to mind right now is just the work that I do on myself. Mm. Like I could think of like what I've gotten notoriety for what's reached the most people, which was like my instinct was supposed to reach the most people because my, my whole mission in life is to create more pleasure collectively, like across the world. But, but if I'm more honest and and I look deep desire, it's wouldn't be possible if I hadn't done this work on myself first. Right. But also on a very simplistic level, you know, being with someone while they give birth is, is pretty perfectly incredible. Oh yeah. For me. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I just did a zoom COVID one recently, a few months ago, mm. two months ago. 
But yeah, I would say more deeply, it's the work I've done on myself and continue to do because otherwise none of this would be possible or pleasurable. (laughs) Very interesting. Well, we have not touched on your podcast at all. Please tell me Hmm. what, what do you guys talk about? What is your, what, what goes on there? Yeah, sex magic so podcast. Yeah, right? sex magic. So we talk about sex magic, shockingly. But also <laughs> we talk about sex and magic and the intersections of those two things. And there's a there's three of us, and we so we usually if we have a guest, we'll just one of us will interview the guest, and then okay. we do episodes where we chat all three of us, which are really fun too. Nice. And you know, sixth season right now. And we're going to be transforming it soon and morphing it a little bit and kind of closing the container on the way we've done it for the past few years, which is going to be exciting and sad, you know, to be changing it. But Mm. it feels like time for me at least to be a bit more intentional about where I put my focus. I have a Mm. Mars Gemini placement, so I tend to have my finger in a lot of pies, Mm. a lot of pots on the stove. And I'm really wanting it this chapter of my life to, I've just made this really intentional move back to my home country. And I really want to focus my life on more embodied pleasure for myself and, and be, a, I need to check myself a little bit on my martyrdom issues and make sure I'm giving from a place of, of fullness and not mm. from lack and, and yes. feeling subconscious desires being met through that. So I, I feel really excited about that too. And I'm going to, um, in time when it feels ready to birth. I'm I'm pregnant now with the potential of my own podcast, which I've been wanting to ah. do for many years before Tosca invited me to be a host on the Sex Magic podcast. I'm curious to see how that will birth. And I think I'll do some episodes with my, my primary partner, my husband. So that'll be fun. And oh, um, yeah. I'm curious to see what kind of crap will come out of his mouth. I love him. He's very funny <laughs> and insightful. And I love um, that. I think it'd be nice to have the balance of the two of us because I'm very esoteric and spiritual and feminine and he's very, mm-hmm. very like masculine and like day-to-day practicalities. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think it'll be really interesting for people. People are always shocked, like often shocked when they like meet him, when they already know me because they're like, oh, wow. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I just didn't think that's who you'd pick. But there's <laughs> no other choice for me. You know, he's just my other half, but I think it'll be interesting to have like that kind of duality on a podcast and yes. like I'm queer and poly and kinky. And when we met, mm-hmm. I'm sure he would identify as like, well, he still identifies as like cishet, but he's like uh-huh. anonymous and he was sure. not kinky when we met. He is now, but, but <laughs> we really like balance each other. We're very, very different. So I think that'll be fun for people to listen to and hopefully like insightful and helpful also. I think it's really intriguing. I actually was on a podcast recently called Oh, what are they? Seductively speaking, I think they're called. Mm. I probably get their name wrong. But they are a couple that does a podcast together. And he's an erotica writer and she is a performer and an audiobook narrator for his mm. books. And I just had so much fun talking to them. They are swingers too. And it's just, it's a really interesting speak seductively. Speak seductively. Kyle and Lily Cannon. There, mm. I finally hit my brain. But it was just so, it was so fun to talk with them. I did an interview on their podcast and then they came on mine. And it was so fun to see, as you said, to see the male and female, traditional male and female perspectives and the way we talk. It was just, it was so interesting. It's so fun. So if you guys do that, I think that would be really awesome. 
Yeah. I'm excited about it. Oh, you know, I just remembered, I was trying to remember the call of the name of that book by Kimberly Ann Johnson. And I was thinking it was into the wild, but I think it's mm. um, call of the wild, but I'll send it oh, to you, so you yeah, in yeah. your show notes. Cause it's really, really good. I feel like I've heard of call of the wild and I can't even and say it's where, good. but <laughs> it's like very much about like embodied nervous system and like practical things for how we can tend to them. I think uh, it's very valuable for everybody to read. It should be in like high school curriculum. Yeah. I wish it was. That's, that's, I need to read that. I feel like I can't even place where I heard that that title, but I know I've heard of it. So yeah, she's great. I need to mark that down and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to touch on before we close? No, that was great. I mean, these are all my favorite topics to talk about. I'm, <laughs> I'm always happy to come on the podcast because I just love talking about these topics and I really passionately want everyone in the whole world to feel grounded and good and safe and pleasurable in their good bodies. So everything I can do to contribute to that, I'd like. Absolutely. I think that's what a great life plan for you to work on. I think that's just, <laughs> I mean, thank that you. is the most noble work, I think. <laughs> thank you. I'm happy. Absolutely awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for talking with me and chatting with me. I had so much fun. And I would literally love to talk with you for like 20 more hours. Maybe we can, <laughs> we can have another podcast in the future. It's so sure. much fun talking with you. You're just so enlightening and full of amazing information and so, so valuable. And I can't thank you enough for the work you do. Thank you. I really, really deeply appreciate that. It was my pleasure. <laughs> sure. You have a beautiful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm so excited that you spent time with me. Hope you learned a lot, had fun. All of her links will be down in the podcast notes so you can easily get to her stuff. She's on Twitter and all those links will be down there. So you can just go down in there and easily access her stuff. My books are also on Amazon, my books and my audio books. I narrate for myself and others. And my website is ruinwillowauthor.com. Come talk to me on social media. I really enjoy connecting with people and chatting and talking. And I would love to hear your thoughts. As always, I hope you have an amazing, sexy fucking day. Love ya. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning you get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.